the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager with Julie Hartman. The Dennis and Julie, is it show? No, podcast, right? What is the official? I like calling it a show. You do? Mm Mm-hmm. I never knew that. I don't like the name podcast. Well, everybody plus me is waiting for you to explain why. (laughs) You can't, you know. That's so true. Yeah, you know. Fair enough. That was pretty funny. I don't like the name podcast. (laughs) Silence. Yeah. It's like, I have an idea. I, that's Period. exactly Silence. that's a perfect analogy. Well, I don't like it because I think that everyone and their mother nowadays has a podcast. And sometimes when I tell people I have a podcast, you can kind of see their eyes glazing oh, over. Oh, that's because, interesting. So to immediately make uh, a delinquent statement or to reference my delinquency off the air, as you know and the viewers know, I am a big fan of the Real Housewives franchise – all of them. Salt Lake City, Beverly Hills, Orange County, New York City, Atlanta, New Jersey, everywhere. And in almost all of them, there may be six ladies per cast for each city. Almost all of them now have podcasts. You know, I had no even inkling that we might even talk about this, but it is. It, we never worthy. have an inkling we're going to No, talk about you're anything. right. That's a good point. No, no, it's worth noting. I think about this question, is it a positive or negative development? And I think it's more positive than negative, believe it or not. More positive than negative? Yes, wow. I do. I don't know if I agree. I know. I know. And and I, I'm not sure I agree. <laughs> so I'm throwing it out. So out, why do you say that? The idea that just about anyone or everyone has access to an audience is not a bad thing. I mean, first of all, most of them have a a tiny audience by by definition. Right. I mean, there's just a finite number of people. But first of all, I could think of so many worse things for people to do with their free time. Right? I mean, it is free time. So... It, between you and me, a podcast is more elevating than than Housewives of, of Atlanta. Hey, hey! No, no, I don't, I don't knock you. I I'm believe kidding. me. I'm uh, yeah, totally yeah, kidding. You're right. You. Yeah, right. You're absolutely I, right. Uh, people prepare to do it. In many cases, they will read up. They they will try to, uh, in many cases, look a little better. I mean, it, it doesn't bring out bad things, generally speaking. I mean, it does in bad people, but they're they're narcissism. bad. They're bad already. No, not even narcissism. Just meanness and cruelty toward others. Mm. So uh, I look. It's 
it's a free market of ideas, and some people will win their audience. I mean, if a guy, let's say a guy, and, you know, he's into woodwork, and he wants to do a podcast on, on you know, building uh, really great tables, and he'll find his niche if he's good, and I think he should, and it gives him a sense of self-worth. I, I like the idea that it's not confined to people like me who get paid uh, to to sit in front of a microphone. That's true. And also, the podcast space is so diverse that you can really find you your, can, niche. your niche, as, yes. as you say. Like, yes. you know, there, there are so many self-help podcasts and book, you know, podcasts on great literature and it really is an amazing way to learn so i i agree with you i do think one of the the issues with it is well two things number one i think for some and i'm thinking of my my dear housewives it can really breed narcissism where people a lot of people use it as an opportunity to share their, I hate this word, but passion or their interests, and that's great. But some people just use it as an excuse to just talk about themselves. Right, but I don't think they'll get a following. True. That's true. Well, that that's the first thing. And the second thing is, and again, this this second one is both good and bad. You can find your person who you, your commentator, let's say political commentator, who you love listening to, but you really won't be exposed very much to the other side. That's a big danger. And we are all... But but that exists already. I know, but I think it exists because of this world. And so, for instance, one of the things that absolutely stuns me is sometimes I will ask my friends who are on the left, you know, uh, do you know Jordan Peterson? And they'll go, no. That is amazing. That is amazing. That they don't know who Jordan Peterson is, and I'm not. And I'm not trying to say that disparagingly to them. I mean, I'm sure they they would list people, no, and I they, would say they, I have I, no I, idea who that I person is. I don't think they would. I, I think we do know their people. The, well, I I used to agree with you. I'm not so sure anymore because there's this guy, and actually, interestingly, I googled him the other day and saw that you did a show with him, David Pakman. Yeah, I had no idea who he was. Right, never I, heard yeah. of him. By the way, and he has a massive following, and he's a liberal. So that's that. So he was. One of the very, very, very few popular people on the left who has invited me on, and I said yes because I I looked him up. I, but it's true, I did not know. That's a good point. You didn't. You didn't know. Yeah, him. no, I didn't. That's correct. And by the way, it was a very cordial. I know. I watched uh, it. Yes, it was very cordial. Yes. It's the way it should be. Uh, the way it should be. That's exactly right. Both the, it was Unlike a credit the young to both Turks of you. who were very well, I didn't. I hadn't heard of the young Turks until you went oh, on oh, them. Oh no, that, so I, that I, yeah, those I knew. So about. I actually think it's true that it runs on both sides. But we all kind of have, and I think, I think by the way, to you know, bring up a, a sore subject, but I think that's a that's part of the reason why there are so many young people who are marching for enchanting intifada and who are so vehemently. Uh, anti-Israel because they follow their one person and that's the only information that they're getting. So it's had, and I'll, I'll give you another example, you know, 40, 50 years ago, I wasn't around to, to speak from personal experience, but so I understand everyone in America knew 
really knew the same famous people. They all knew Johnny Carson. They all knew Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite you know, um, I'm trying to think of another one. Well, certainly you know, the actors. And yeah, so, the, but, but, yeah. And now we we're so kind no, of atrophied. It, it, we don't yeah. we don't divide. I do blame the left for that. Uh, See, these were all liberals. Cronkite was a liberal, and, and and well, Johnny Carson we don't know to his great credit. But wait, why do you blame, you blame the left for what? For for this division. I mean, they they mm. they. What what do you expect? Will American? Will most Americans tune in if you say men give birth? If you say America is systemically racist? If you lie to the American people about America, and and then they're supposed to tune you in every night. I mean, the uh, the AP, Associated Press, wrote a piece about how uh, uh, Claudine Gay, right? That that's her name. You know, yeah. the president of Harvard, former was, former president of Harvard, that she was uh, she was gotten rid of because the new weapon of conservatives is plagiarism. It's so convoluted. It's no her testimony in Congress that she couldn't condemn those who advocate mass murder of Jews, genocide of Jews. She can't condemn them because she needs to know the context. Right. Uh, that that wasn't an issue. Uh, uh, and by the way, since when is plagiarism not an issue? Right. <laughs> I've written ten books and a thousand, literally a thousand articles. All, they're all on the internet. I am so careful to give attribution, not just because of legal matters. It's the moral thing to do. As you say, the Talmud says that, that yes, when whoever you cite a source, cites a source, you give righteousness to the world. Yes, that's right. I, I, hear, I hear you on the present division. That in, And look, obviously both sides vilify each other, but I think the left especially is so – I mean, look <laughs> – on on left wing college campuses, they shout down and try to cancel conservative speakers. At most conservative campuses, to the extent that there are that them anymore, but you know, like in, in the South, there are these big conservative schools. They don't, they, you don't, you don't ever see them marching, well, shouting that's the down. Point. So yes. I totally agree with you on that. However, I do think that this this. Um, when I mean division, I don't just mean politically. I literally just mean like this – the sense that we seek out our own sources, our own news. I don't think that is the the um, fault of a, a either political side. I think it really is that largely because of this new media space that we're in where you no longer tune in and you have five channels on the TV. You can go to anybody you want and they can be – spewing whatever misinformation they spew and there's no accountability when you before instagram and twitter and all these social media platforms and youtube and rumble and whatever the heck else is out there you had only a few news stations abc nbc you know etc and they they had to get it right because the all you know the american people were relying on them for their news and there was a bigger uh penalty if they didn't get it right but now it's just you have that millions and millions of people who are in this space and the standards are not as high well they own the media i mean look, look, you know, the left you mean yes they well of do. course they, no no so, of course so a person listening to npr thinks that he knows 
or she knows what's happening in the world. That that's what's that's what's ironic. Oh, I I totally agree with you there. But I but again, I think a lot of this has been fueled by the media space. But yes, I agree that. I mean these these channels are despicable. I, so any anyway, I do want to get back though just for a moment. I uh, so you 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 do agree with me, having heard my arguments. Yeah, I do. That right. you know, a lot of people having a podcast is not a bad thing. The most convincing thing you said was that it's it's a better use of time than many other. Well, things. well, that's right. That is it. That's not a little thing. No, not at all. And uh, it it. it it makes you start to think more seriously. So here's the interesting thing. Let's say somebody has 300 viewers on a podcast. Right. I mean, so what, here, this is a, a great question in life generally. So let's say you have regularly 300 viewers. Yeah. That's considered very low. Right. Correct? Yeah. Right. So I have two interesting questions about that. Let us say I invited you, Julie. Okay, forget the podcaster. You, Julie. I said, Julie, uh, 300 people are going to show up for a speech of yours. You would not think that's a little Oh, thing. absolutely. Isn't that interesting? It is. And, and Why is it any different? I I totally think about that with my own show. You know, if I see 500 people watched, it seems very low. But then when you told me that, I went, oh, my gosh, 500 people. And, and it's am- 500 people took time out of their day yes. to sit and watch me. Yes. I do think it's a little different, though, because I don't quite know how views work on YouTube. I think sometimes it's like if you click on the video and you watch it for a minimum amount of seconds, then it counts as a view. So I think it's it's – not always clear if you know oh, all that, 500 no, are fair, watching that you. Is a very Whereas fair if 500 question. people show up to your yeah, speech, they unless, they, the whole speech. unless they start, you know, yeah, walking to the exit, <laughs> they're there. That's you know? right. No, that's fair. So I, I don't know the answer to that. That's a, that's a very fair point. Is a two minute? Let let me check this out. Or by accident, I showed up at your channel. You know, I'll give I'll give you another criticism I have of podcasts. And and by the way, some somebody listening could say to me, well, you know. You're you're the pot calling the kettle black. You know why are you, why are you saying this when when you do this? But I see so many people out there giving their opinions. On, like I was I was on some there was some actress. And I was looking at her Instagram recently. She just popped up on my feed, and then I saw that she has a podcast. And then I listened to really piqued my curiosity. I listened to it, and, I, and then I looked at some of her summaries. And one of it, and she and she was on the left, but that doesn't even really matter. She, but she said, you know, I, I, I implore the, you know, Israeli army to cease their bombing in Gaza. I implore world leaders to do. And I just thought, like, what the hell do you know about about politics? Well, that's you a were fair, an actress is, for yes. twenty five years. Right. Now you're entering this new space, and these in okay, it's so problem, grandiose. This idea, right. like, I call on the Israeli so, government. What the hell do you know about the Israeli government? Right. And so, so here's the here's the, here's a good answer. I couldn't agree with you more. Believe me. However, how is she different from the Secretary General of the United Nations who well, is saying well, the dear, exact totally. same thing? Totally. Totally. So it, 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 
he's a nut. The, the Secretary General is a is a woke crackpot. Uh, he, he's a fanatic on global warming. Fanatic. He would he would starve the third world. Uh, rather than have them use fossil fuels. And the U.N. is always, you know, voting Israel as, like, the worst country on the face of planet Earth. Right. But Israel has been condemned more than any country in U.N. history. Iran is the the country head of, like, the ethics committee in the U.N. Yes, human rights. Are you kidding? Right. Or or the women's. Saudi Arabia, I think, had the women's thing one when year. When they or something killed like Masa Amini, the 22 year old girl, because yeah. there was a strand of hair poking through her, her hijab, and they're the head of the, the ethics. Right. Are you You're crazy? Right. But I, I just want to say quickly, because I can understand some people listening are like, well, Julie isn't, you know, you you have a podcast where you give your opinions on political and, and non political things. But what I, re- I really try to do is approach it through a perspective of we're exploring exploring this together as opposed to this kind of hard and fast uh, i mean look there are some things that i'm very very you know clear about for instance giving i i think it is evil to give puberty blockers to minors and have them undergo gender transition surgeries if you want to do that when your brain is fully formed and you're an adult Go ahead. But for kids, no. So there are some things I'm very hard-lined about. But when it comes to, like, these global things, when I see people on these shows who don't have any background in any of this saying, I, I you know, use my platform to implore these – it strikes me as very arrogant. And I think, I think it would behoove all of us to kind of know our lanes. Well – you know? Let me just say on your behalf, the issue is not background. The The fact is that you have immersed yourself in the study of, of the contemporary world. Oh, and you have no idea how much. I have an idea. That's why I'm saying this. Dennis Prager here with a man I have come to admire for his work. So when I asked him, what do you do? This is the title he gave, Wealth Architect. Very simply put, I am a wealth architect that helps my clients accelerate the way they grow your wealth. It's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. The Internal Revenue Code is embedded with a number of things that you can take advantage of. It's what I call playing tax chess. We take the time to play tax chess in your favor. We give our clients unbiased, independent advice across all areas in their financial life because we have no incentive to sell anything. I was taken enough and impressed enough to have you do my work and you have in fact saved me serious amount of money charlesdombeck.com slash prager if they had i would have that's respect fair. you're for right that's fair so the issue is not did you go to college or what college yes. did you go to or that's what, what did what you I major meant by in background was you know yeah really... they, they don't know anything no that's i read correct. the newspaper the half they, they did a they actually did a study or some some polls, I should say. Uh, so you're saying from the river to the sea, Palestine should be free. What river and what sea did you have in mind? Oh, I know. They Most have of no them idea. have no idea what, what river or what sea. They, it's it's uh, yeah. that, that's it's right. Abs- it's horrible. It's horrible. Yes. No. I mean, I I read three newspapers cover to cover every morning. I read like two books a week. I watch. You know, I'm really. I, yeah. I, I really right. I, so you're right about that and. It, it, it is what it is, but 
But when I see an actress like going into no, well, politics, well, it's well, like, the, this what is, what the, is by this? By the way, you know? all of this is is relatively new. Right. For my parents' generation, and even for me as a kid, which would be my parents' generation, actors n- almost never spoke out on politics. Yes, yes. and that's Because what... they believed their role in life was, was to be an actor. What to was bring to joy bring to joy people was and meaning, to bring meaning, yes. yes. I, so so he, you'll love my theory. Um, this I, I don't think you've ever heard. I have you've, heard it. You've, you've told it on D&J. Say it. That they, that many actors and actresses, the political ones, no, don't view their job as Meaningful. having enough consequence, and that's why they speak on political things. Do you remember, this is meant seriously, do you remember everything that I say, and I don't mean just me, I, that anyone says to you? If it makes an impression on me, uh-huh. if I think it's a oh, good idea, yes. Oh, good answer. You know, I've been finding lately, especially because I read it, it an insane amount i'm finding that i'm forgetting things that are superfluous like i i my friends are saying to me recently that i'm recounting stories to them again which by the way you do you will oh i do that all the time all the time you'll yes. you'll say like oh well, i know i gotta tell you this yeah okay go ahead what did he say all old people do that no no he said uh all bold people uh, do that yeah well you're definitely one of those things uh, exactly maybe so, even too yeah. uh, <laughs> anyway no, no, I, no it ha- he's right about all old people but that's i've done it when i did it when i was your age well that's well i'm doing it when i'm my age and i'm telling I don't friends rem- stories i don't remember what i've said to somebody I, I don't know how you how can you be expected to remember if, if I have a deep conversation with someone I will totally remember it but if I'm you know recounting like oh I you know had this interaction with this person or I went on this date or something I'm telling a friend they'll go Julie already told me but it's right. because so you, you remember have... okay you remember the important stuff yeah you that, do, that's you and that's what I do yes yes that's fascinating so but anyway it's worth repeating if you believed that being an actor was significant, you wouldn't be pre. Of course, it is. You wouldn't. Every profession is significant, and I don't mean that as as a patronizing comment. What? Tell me what profession is it? You'll love sex this. Sex work. Hmm? Is sex work a significant? Okay. All right. Well, is sex work? Okay. That's. You said every profession. Yes. All right. I. I. Every legal profession is selling weed. Selling weed is legal. Oh, yeah. No, no, that's fair. That's fair. Virtually every line of work. And I have a very interesting little anecdote on that. Yeah. My brother, who was a professor of medicine, he's in an Ivy League medical school. He's a very big doctor. He said to me many years ago, do you know, Dennis, I just want to tell you, there is a group that has done much more for health than doctors. I'm thinking, really? Yeah, who? Can you guess? I know I didn't tell you this. Sanitation workers. Oh, well, that's true. Isn't that fascinating? Oh, my. I think I was I was thinking the other day, people who pick up our trash, they are the they have the most important job in the country. Well, my brother would argue that it is done more for health than doctors. Oh, I mean, (laughs) I mean, just to give you an example. So uh, but back to the actor. They believed, I think, generation or two ago, people who who were in Hollywood, 
or any acting thought this is significant. Yes. Now you get your significance from taking a position against Israel. Well, I, you know, that or, is... Or, of course, uh, uh, you know, uh, for George Floyd. Well, I was watching some reruns of the Oscars because when I was younger, we, I remember, you know, from like ages five to 11 or 12, we loved the Oscars. Oh, I mean, we'd course. have Oscar parties. It was a highlight. It was such a highlight. Nobody we'd watches. Sit... It's no, sickening. Isn't the it le- amazing? It's another example of the left ruins everything it touches. Nobody watches them anymore. That's correct. None of Be- my all friends. All because of the left. Give it, and it, I don't totally... want to hear a speech on why I'm a white a-hole yes. from another yes. Absolutely. Uh, 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 actor. Absolutely. Right. And I was watching a rerun because I... I Googled like political speeches at the Oscars and basically I, what popped up was the entirety of the Oscars. Um, but I was, I was watching one of these speeches and, and this was from 2016 or 2017 and this, you know, producer got up and won, won the Oscar for whatever best producer. And, and he said, you know, I just try to show through my work that, you know, we need to embrace love and not hate. We shouldn't, you know, we need to let people in, not build walls, which keep people out. And then you have all these sanctions demonious people in the audience going like that that, by the way was one of the one of the stupidest statements it was and by the way they've turned on that now it's amazing i remember in 2016 when trump was running for president and i was a liberal then and he was talking about building a wall people freaked out yeah by the way, I hate to say it, but I'm going to be honest, myself included. Right. I remember watching that, well, and I wonder important. how I could be so stupid. Yes. And I remember watching that and going, this is so cruel. Like, how could he do this? And this is so stupid, and it's not going to work. Like, wow. I can't believe I thought that way. And I then now we're seeing people like John Fetterman. Indeed, President Biden is commence- re- restarting the building of the border well, wall. Well, he, he, he wants to get uh, reelected. Right. But, but anyway, I... I Back to the Oscars thing. It's just like your job. People need to know their lanes. You know, like, Mm -hmm. listen, you will never hear me talk about biology or chemistry or any of that on my show because I don't know a damn thing about those subjects. You know, I sort of know my my lane. Um, I mean, and by the way, you won't hear me offer a critique of acting. Totally. Same I, with me. I, I don't have I don't the know ability. It, or, or comedy. I don't really know a damn thing about any of those things. Um, so when I see these people at these the, uh, Emmys and Oscars, you know, it's just like stop. And also a lot of a lot of n- not just these individuals, but their shows, their movies have gotten so political. You even look at the 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 ones that are being nominated, and it's all it's like you know. Yeah. Well. Uh, well. They they paid and, a price in that yeah. way too, but that, no, that, it's it is yeah. staggering to see how no one watches those. It, it, it I know that we've talked about this, uh, but it doesn't matter. I'll tell you why it doesn't matter because <laughs> without repetition, you don't learn anything. It's true for me. I need to remember that. Yeah, on my re- show, repetition. I is fear the, if I'm uh, repeating. Oh, me too. I still do to I'm this day. People, yeah. yes, like they'll say. Why would I listen to you? You said that three years ago. <laughs> There's really that voice in me. Oh. I apologize for... for... I, sa- I said it three episodes ago. Yeah. But uh, that's... People are bombarded with messages. And, right. And, and it's you very need... hard to remember. You have to, do, you have to hear it a few times yes. to really have well, it integrated. Look, look, well, otherwise, ads wouldn't work. 
Think of how many times they've heard the same ad. So what was the thing that you said? We've already talked about this, but it doesn't matter. The America that I knew that you don't know. I know. It's sad to me. It's... That, so that's my question, which I know we discussed. Is it sadder for you or sadder for me? I, Is it sadder I for the I one who to, knew it? I think I used to say it was sadder for you, but I, not to throw a pity party. I, I count myself as one of the most privileged no, people No, no, it's not a pity party. But it's, I, a, it's a fascinating question. I think it's question. sorry. Because I've actually, even through my life, I used to know a different America. Yes, it's And so I feel fast. like with each, each so can year. So you, you can only imagine. I know. I know. And but, by the way, I can say this. I knew it my whole life. I knew how terrific this country was. Well, you know, so I have a group text with some friends from college. And you know I have great, great college friends. You've met many of them, which is very, very touching to me that, that you were able to do that. And you've been so kind to them. Thank you. But I, I have I have several different group texts with with various friends and one of them there's maybe six or seven of us and it occurred to me recently we haven't talked at all about the claudine gay thing so oh and, and you're the, you and we're all harvard, harvard. Friends. we're all harvard yeah, friends right. yes yes so claudine gay former president of harvard she just resigned you were talking about it a few moments ago i'm just you know setting the background she she gave a mealy mouth condemnation of the 34 student organizations at Harvard, which signed that despicable petition saying that the Israeli regime is entirely responsible for the terrorist attack on October 7th. She gave that congressional testimony where she said the genocide of Jews depends on the context. And then she was, you know, in this whole plagiarism scandal and she resigned after 95 days of being president. Wouldn't you think that would be something that we would bring up in our group text and we haven't no one has brought it up right. Har- and i know not to bring it up Harvard yes and and that struck That's me very interesting and so i went on the side and i texted one of my friends who's in it who we and she and i talk about politics together um she's a liberal but you know believe it or not i'm fully capable of being being friends with liberals um as long as they're not left i don't yeah well that's a big right. difference. there's a big yeah. difference and so um she, I said to her, don't you think it's a little strange that we haven't talked about this Claudine Gay thing? Oh, I'm fascinated. Yeah. And I said, I think it's because of me. You said. I did. And, they, and my friend wrote back, it's totally because of you. And it's because, and I realized in that group text, we never talk about anything that gets in the stratosphere of political. Which, by the way, I kind of... Wait a minute. Why was it because of you? Because I don't think that they want to hear my opinions. Oh. I think they know that I'm going to have a conservative opinion. And, you know, it just occurred to Wait, me... Wait, so your friend thinks it was unfair that she was picked on? My, the other people in the group text? No, or or, or just you, the friend you Some, talked to. No, 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 not the friend I talked to. The friend I talked to is totally oh, on board with me. Oh, she was speaking. Oh, she is. We were is. on the side. We oh, because you side said text. she was on the left. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's a liberal. She's All a right, liberal. All right, but she's on board with, totally. with the, yeah, she, the, the resignation of yeah. the president. And so she's one of the seven or six or seven members of this group text. So, so she was saying to you, Julie, they know your opinion. They don't want to start a fight. Yeah. And it's and you know what it just occurred to me that is so sad because you know me and I hope the audience knows me by now. I'm not a combative person. You know, when I argue about things, I'm I'll certainly be 
strong-willed in my arguments, but I never, I never get, you know, I make sure to temper my language. Some people get really incendiary and they'll like, you know, call, you know, they'll be like, the imbecile Claudine gay. Like, I, I wouldn't do that. I would know better not to do that. It's just not who I am. And it just occurred to me, as much as I love these friends, and I really do love them, it's just sad that we now live in this country where we can't have those kinds of discussions, you know, because one of the members is conservative and we can't open that can of worms and we can't hear her opinion. It's like, it's just an old America. God, I would love to hear your friends from Harvard's opinion. Yeah, I'm sure some of them would uh, think that this is racist. That for you're, you're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. Not not many of my friends, but I think one or two of, of those would, would have bought that line. Yeah, or would think that Amazing. it was that she was unfairly targeted by the right. Yeah. But but by the way, even if they think that, I would love to engage That's in a right. discussion yes. with them and I would yes. view it as but we view p- political disagreements so to give as give you an idea of how different the worlds of perception of the left and right are. The right, well, start with the left. The left believes she was fired or asked to resign because she's black. Yes. The right believes she was hired in the first place because she's black. Yes. Well, so it's the literally the opposite in every possible way. I know, I know, but it's just I never understood. If I were sitting across from a communist, I would want to talk with them. I, I, and I would be, and and I may very strongly disagree with them, but I certainly wouldn't get disagreeable. There's, I can't think of a group, virtually any group that invited me to speak, I would speak to because my answer would be. If they're willing to hear me, I need to speak. I would talk to a Nazi. That's what I think. If the, I, would ta- if a I would talk Nazi to a group, member of Hamas. Yes, I would talk to anybody. Yes. Anybody. So, right. So it's always a, a somewhat of a farce. So-and-so spoke in front of this group, and it proves that they agree with the group. That's not true. And What do you mean? Oh, no, they will do that. A politician, oh, well, five years ago he spoke to a states' rights group. So he's clearly a racist. Oh, oh, that's very common. Oh, interesting. Whom did you speak to? (laughs) So you can't lament that we don't speak uh, to our political foes if if we speak to our allies and then get lambasted for it. See, so... I, I've been really lucky. I, I have guests frequently on Timeless, and I've been really lucky that most of the guests who I've reached out to have said yes, but a few have said no. Very small number. I've actually been surprised um, how, how most people are, are very willing. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful. But there was a, a, a show I did on, on uh, cemeteries, like interesting cemeteries around the country, including Forest Lawn, which is a stone's throw from here, amazing cemetery, and burial practices in the United States. Because as you know, half of my show is non-political. I like talking about anything in life. So I did this show, and there was a book that I read that was so good and interesting talking about burial practices in cemeteries. And so I reached out to the author, and I said, would you be willing to come on this show? Loved your book. I just, I think a lot of people would find it to be interesting. And he very politely declined. And that really interested me. Like, you know, why, I I wasn't offended, but I just kind of wanted to understand. And I think it's because I do do some political commentary, and he would be seen even if he was just coming on my show to talk solely about his cemetery book, we would never bring up, bring up you know right versus left stuff. I think he kind of viewed it as 
he would be seen as endorsing, which See, is so sad. that's their thing. That's not, it's so sad. Our team doesn't think if a conservative goes on a left-wing show, it, it's a bad reflection. No. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy... No, that's a really important distinction to be made. The, the, when I went on, you just mentioned the David Pakman show. Yeah. The, the, if a conservative even knew it, it would have been a positive... Oh, good for Prager. Well done. We need we need conservatives to speak to that audience. Right, their guy comes on you, like this guy here. Oh, you're you've been tainted. Yes, you you caught the bigot virus. The bigot virus. That's exactly <laughs> right. Well, there was a professor at Harvard many years ago. Alan could clue you in more on the uh, details. Who? So, Alan, you said Alan Estrin. Oh, sorry, I, yes. I couldn't hear you. Yeah. MyPillow is excited to bring you their biggest bedding sale ever. Get the Giza Dream bed sheets for as low as $29.98, a set of pillowcases for only $9.98. Rejuvenate your bed with a MyPillow mattress topper for as low as $99.99. They also have blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles. They even have blankets for your pets. Get duvets, quilts, down comforters, body pillows, bolster pillows, and so much more all with the biggest discounts ever. They're also extending their money-back guarantee until March 1st, 2024, making them great gifts for your friends, your family, and everyone you know. So go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code HARTMAN or call 1-800-566-6745 and you'll get big discounts on all MyPillow bedding products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets for as low as $29.98 and get all your shopping done now while quantities last. So, uh, I rarely invite people who write books on happiness because I'm sort of a happiness expert. I, I claim that. Uh, and I've written a book on it, and I've read much on it, and I've, you know, I talk about it for 25 years every week on my happiness hour. So, I don't generally invite people to write books on happiness because what am I going to ask them? Where do we differ? And if we feel the same, it's not going to be very enlightening. But there was a Harvard professor who wrote a book on happiness that I was intrigued by. Mm -hmm. And so Alan, who does all the inviting, invites him. And he gets back to us and says, no. I, I, looked, uh, I looked it up on the internet and, the, you know, uh, I'm not going to go on a right-wing show. Something to that effect. You're talking about happiness. I know, happiness. And to give you an idea... He would have sold more books coming on my show than he probably did before he was on my show. My, uh, many authors have told me that mine was the one of the two most successful shows uh, of selling books that they've ever been on. Shows you they really do think that we're Nazis. That's know? right. They really do. Yeah. But then look at yes. this is this is the thing I've talked about this so many times. The double think. You think you think conservatives are Nazis with scant evidence but then we have these people literally chanting for the eradication of the jewish state and it's like oh whatever that's right that's totally fine that's correct so totally pivoting uh like the friends scene did you ever watch friends pivot pivot not the i don't know the pivot line oh, okay it's yeah. pretty famous it's like <laughs> what 
Sean is laughing. That Dennis would ever watch Friends. But oh, please. Friends. Everybody watches Friends. Can you name one Friends character? Yes. Charles. He asked me to name one person, and I did. Go ahead. Try, really try. Name one Friends character. Um, One minute. Jerry. Joey. Joey. That's what I meant. I meant Joey. Joey, Chandler, Ross, Monica, Phoebe, and Rachel. Anyway, um, totally wow. pivoting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a fun, it's a fun show. Um, I was so honored to have your son on my show recently. And I know him, obviously, from off the air. I've been blessed to spend time with him. But we talked about his addiction and recovery right after he went on your fireside chat and talked about addiction and recovery. And he, see, he's another person who has started a podcast, but he, he is so wise and so vulnerable and God bless him, unafraid to talk about what he's been through. And the wisdom that he shares is applicable to everyone, not just people who have struggled with addiction or know people who have struggled with addiction. But by the way, all of us, at the very least, know someone who has. I really believe that, that, that almost everybody in the world has, has a tie to it. Um, but I said to him at the end of the, the show, because he, he launched his own podcast called AP Unfiltered, which I watch. He, he is so eloquent. And articulate. He, he really is. AP is Aaron Prager. AP, yes. And um, I, I've watched it, and he, you know, he'll, he'll talk about addiction and recovery, but he also talks about politics and, and his take on news. And I said to him, your experience and your, your, um, the wisdom that you've gleaned from your addiction and recovery journey is so applicable to the moment that we're living in now. Because we, I think that we live in a society where a lot of people have addictions, not just to substances, to social media, to porn, to television, gambling. to gambling, to victimhood, to activism. And so he... To free things. Yeah, right. And, and so I think his worldview from his... Uh, it's it's great just for life advice, but I also think he is especially well positioned to kind of explain some of the pathologies which are infecting our our public sphere now. But I I know that you were interested in talking about that one line he had on your show. Did he mention that line on yours? I think I brought it up, and I also want to say kudos to you on your fireside chat. You were very open, and, and you're always open. But I was. Very impressed with the questions you asked him. I mean, you said to him, "Do you, did you ever fear, or did you ever think that I favored David, my biological that I loved, that, that I loved David more than you, because David is my biological son and you're adopted?" You said, "Was there was there anything more I could have done, or should I have done something differently?" About it's an, your addiction. Yes, it's a, it's an amazing conversation. But you asked him. You pick up on everything. I love it. Well, it's, I mean, that so many people yeah, the, would be the, really afraid, especially with the amount of people who hate you and who are, who want to look for ways to well, say, you know, yeah, oh, they, they, I would say in general, they know as much about me as well, left wing media reported. Yep. That's it. That's the extent of what they, they know. would have no idea that you have an adopted right. son. They have no idea right. that you're the godfather to gay couple's child there there's so many things about you that right. they wouldn't understand anyway 
you asked him on that show when he hit rock bottom mm-hmm. and then decided to reach out for help. And his line, which should be a T-shirt, is that I hit rock bottom when I realized that I had nobody else to blame for my problems. Except me. Except me. If everyone Hmm. in the world Hmm. could hear that, we would be a happier, healthier society. You are, and especially in, you know, and we've talked about this, when, if you go to other places in the world, you will be held back for being a woman. You will be held back for being an ethnic minority or a religious minority. You will be held back for being an immigrant. You will be held back from being gay. That is actually the norm in most parts of the world. But in the United States of America in 2024, you are not largely, if at all, held back for being any of those things. And yet, we, our population out of any other in the world is the most population that is convinced that they are held back by those things. Mm-hmm. Well, that that is why... I fear for the society. It hit too many people. At least half the population does blame others for their problems. It begins with parents, and then it goes to the country, and it's systemic racism if you're a racial minority. It's capitalism. I mean, there's there's always something to blame. Other than you, climate change, homophobia. Oh, all of all of the racism. phobias. Yeah, all of them. The, it was such a powerful answer. I mean, even I didn't expect it. I knew that he has adopted that attitude, right. but I didn't know that he associated that with his turnaround. In other words, he could not stop being an addict till he stopped blaming others for his problems and started blaming himself. That's what everyone needs to hear. And, and you, None of you can get a, a healthier, happier, or a better human being un, unless you reach that point. Stop blaming others for your problems. And he's also consistent because we were talking about when he was younger. And I, and I, I said on the show, I feel comfortable asking you really personal questions because, A, I'm honored to know and love your family so well and I know that you guys are open people and B I watch the fireside chat and I know that you guys are comfortable going there but I said you know like did did your parents have any sense of how bad your addiction was and did they ever try to step in and intervene and he said honestly Julie I don't remember and even he said even if they tried to, there was nothing that they could do. Right. And that's what he said. He said, you know, like for people – because, you know, I have people in my life close to me who have struggled with addiction. And, and it's so hard to look at them and know that they're struggling and go, what the heck can I do? But Aaron said, it's you can't do anything. Yeah. And that's sort of the case with uh, this – addiction mindset in general addiction to victimhood there there's nothing that you can really do to to influence I, I that visited person. the rehab center in Pennsylvania where he still lives mm-hmm. I, I visited it because they asked the the loved ones of the patient mm-hmm. to visit I by the way I thought it would be all almost all parents 
I was one of the only parents there. Yeah, you said that on the it was fireside a, it, chat. It, it was amazing. So, so why was, do you think? It, well, it was because there were so many older people. It's mm-hmm. not just kids who were addicted. Right. It's vast numbers of adults. The spouse came. The best friend came. The cousin came. The mother came. Uh, but an old mother or old. Anyway, they it, the message of the weekend to us was: you can't do anything. Except screw it up. Except enable them, basically. That you can do. But you can't do anything really to get them out of their addiction. Mm-hmm. And I took it seriously. I, 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 you know, I'm a big liver of the serenity prayer. You know the serenity I do. prayer? I don't know it by heart. but the, the gist is, give me the strength to deal with things that I can that are in my control and give me the serenity to know the things I can't no, it's control. Three, it's three it's, parts. I know. Yeah, but that it doesn't matter. That was the matter. least yeah. eloquent but, but, <laughs> synopsis yeah. of the serenity prayer. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. <laughs> to deal with, I said. <laughs> Courage the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. What was it like for you did did you see when Aaron was growing up that he was was addicted to things? I mean, did you suspect? Was it kind of out in no, the open? Did he hide no. it? What- well, he, he he didn't start, I think, till about eleven or twelve, which is pretty early, obviously. But but he was born to a meth addict, and I, I have a feeling that that played a role, certainly well, in his my God, addiction. Of course. Yeah, but I, there were. We hug and say I love you now so regularly, and that was not part of his life as a child, which I always was confused about. You mean he didn't do that? Yeah. Wow. Even before he started using. That's right, and I I never quite figured out why. I still don't know. I'm going to ask him. (laughs) People, you know, we just... As I get older, the more and more I realize we have no bleeping idea the crosses that people are bearing on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's in my happiness book. I have a chapter on on envy and how and how aside from just being wrong, that's obvious. How foolish it is because you don't know anything about what's going on in that person's life, or certainly in their mind. As uh, the great Helen Telushkin quote. I know, I was thinking of her. The only happy people I know are people I don't know well. That was such a brilliant line. I heard it in high school from Joseph, my friend's mother, sitting in her kitchen in Brooklyn, New York. Joseph and I were ruminating over who were the happy and unhappy kids in our grade. Mm. And then she closed the refrigerator door and said, boys, the only happy people I know... Are people I don't know well, <laughs> and and that was so intelligent. It was. So, it is a very. What do you What life. do you know? It's true. Where, did you live every day in fear and in torment when when you knew that Aaron? I mean, so can can you just help me understand? Like when when did you kind of realize that there was a problem, 
And well, I realized there were problems with him, but I didn't know their genesis. I, I the, it was clear there were problems. You mean addiction the, problems? The, he wouldn't go. No, no problems. There were just problems that they may have emanated from addiction. I did not know, but the, the, there were problems. I mean, he couldn't go to a regular school. We sent him to a special school, and you know, at, at a woman's home with other kids who. You know, just couldn't make it in a regular school. May I ask why? Why couldn't he make it? In he, a regular he, he he wouldn't. He, he would act out, and he wouldn't do the work. I mean, I don't care if he got good grades. Grades never meant anything to me. But he just, it was not feasible. So I, I knew at a very early age, but I didn't. I I didn't put addiction together with the problems. When did you realize or find out that he was an addict? That's, it's a very good question, and I don't know the answer. I'll ask him. <laughs> he, does, he doesn't remember. When I, you asked him, when did your dad find out? Yeah, yeah. I, I asked, you know, like, how did this all kind of unfold, and did they ever intervene, or, and he says, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. It's interesting how you, how well, you block out well, it's parts not of just, your... Yes, it, I think that that's part of it. Remember, I had not had this in my childhood. I had not had an addict in my life. Right. So I didn't know the telltale signs. Right. And if if it was ever raised, he said, "Oh, I'm not using anymore." And and he he could sort of fake it. Right. Well, one of the things Aaron said that I thought was so intelligent, and as someone who again knows someone in my life who struggled with this, it's it's so true. Aaron said, I, as the addict, didn't realize or kind of didn't didn't realize when it crossed over from being intense partying into addiction. Oh, interesting. And I look at that person in my life and it was, you know, now I kind of look back and I see the signs. But I always thought, okay, they're having you know they're letting loose they're having a little too much fun they're maybe go overboard they're gonna outgrow it or it's a they're stressed in their life and then you look back and you go that those were all of the that was the addiction you know those were all of the signs but i just totally missed it and and so it's well why why are you saying that did that happen in your life yeah really oh yeah I, i saw someone who i was worried about for months uh-huh. And this person was drinking, you know, using weed oh, excessively. Oh, I see. And it was always, it was like, it was bad, but it wasn't quite at the point where I was like, okay, this this is crossing a line. My wife would tell me, and she was right. She said, why do you ask? They always lie. Hmm. And that's true. Addicts always lie. I mean, it's just part of the process right and it's not it's not like a malicious thing it's no that they're it's, so they, they 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 don't want you to know and and they may lie to themselves well another thing that was so great talking with aaron is is the the role that god plays in his recovery mm-hmm. right. and how his group that he was in it was such a god-centered approach one of the things he said was now in a lot of recovery programs they're trying to get rid of the of god course. stuff yes. because it's you know pro- process the cultural left it, that, it's that another is... example of everything they th- and, and they're not having something better they, what are they going to replace higher power slash god with there are many good reasons to buy gold and silver 
bank failures, digital currency volatility, emerging market countries trying to topple the dollar as the global reserve currency. Julie Hartman here for AmFed Coin and Bullion. Dennis's choice for precious metals. If you asked AmFed owner Nick Rovich to simplify the case for precious metals, he'll tell you that when President Roosevelt recalled the gold in circulation and paid people with paper money, they received a $20 bill for a $20 gold piece. Today, that $20 bill won't even fill half of your gas tank. But the gold piece is worth about $2,000. Which would you rather own? Now let's simplify the reasons to use AmFed coin and bullion. Nick's been in the industry for over 42 years, and he's proud of providing transparency and fair pricing to build trusted relationships. If you're interested in buying or selling, call Nick and his team at Amped Coin in Bullion, 1-800-221-7694, AmericanFederal.com, AmericanFederal.com. And, and Aaron calls God good orderly direction. That is so true. That is exactly what God is. Mm-hmm. God is good, orderly direction. Yeah. All of us follow things. The question is, what are you following? That's what people don't realize. They think they think that they can just kind of like go through life and judge situations and circumstances based on you know their own will, but they they don't they don't realize that they they are following an ideology. You know. I do know. So how was it being with him? Oh gosh, Dennis, he's so great. I mean, he's he's so warm and and I'm not just saying this to you because he he's your son. He's a very very special person. Very warm, very vulnerable, very very articulate. He's brilliant and it kind of confirms my theory that people I think the people who struggle with this the most are intensely brilliant hmm. people. Really? Yes, and I and I think intensely brilliant people are sort of unable to be very happy in life. That's interesting. He says he, Sean says he thinks he recalls the moment Aaron said he knew he had a problem. Uh, I was at his doorstep. No, that was, that was when he, he said that he made a call to Dennis. He didn't even remember it. And the next thing he knew no, was that you yeah. were at his doorstep taking him to the airport that's to go correct. get correct. Yeah, that but that's that's not when he knew he had a problem. That's when he hit bottom and knew he had to get better. When I got that call, oh, it was it was a great, great day in my do, life. Do you remember that call? Oh, I remember what was it. it. Oh huh? What 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 was it? What did he, he said, say? Dad, I I need help. And we, you know, I, I, you know, help me. I need, I need to go to rehab or something to that effect. I canceled everything that day. Went immediately. I got him a ticket, obviously, to to uh, Pennsylvania, where I knew of a rehab thanks to my wonderful friends at uh, the Chabad movement in in uh, Jewish life. It was not a Jewish rehab, but they they had connections there. So, do you want to hear? It shows you. The, the little quirks that change a life. Mm-hmm. So he shows up, and there were two divisions, uh, under 21 and over 21 or, or 22. I don't remember what it was. And he was put in, let me see, if he was, so he's 31, right? 
31. You wouldn't know. 31. He is 31, yes. Okay. <laughs> he's 31, and he's sober 72. He's 20, so 24. Wow, he's my age. Well, wait. So, wait, yeah. So, that is... Uh, I guess it was 25. I think that the yeah, division was under 25 and over 25. So uh, he shows up at the place, and they, they, they see he pulls out a cigarette. So there's no smoking unless you're in the older division. You can't smoke in the younger division. That's so stupid. So it's beyond stupid. Uh, of course it if is. If that is the thing that's helping no, them oh, to oh, not oh, go to... Oh, oh, thank I you. Mean, thank you. Okay, okay. It drives me crazy. We can't wave a magic wand no, and live I, in a perfect I, world. No, no, I, it, it, these people are withdrawing. Julie, I, I, it, these people <laughs> saved his life, and yet I have such contempt for that idiocy. <laughs> the, well, the, I knew from the beginning of the war on, on quote-unquote tobacco that there was something sick about the the movement, mm-hmm. I, I knew I wrote I wrote about it in in my journal, uh, you know the the publication I used to send out called Ultimate Issues. Right. A- anyway, uh, so he said, "I'm leaving if I can't smoke." And a, a dear rabbi friend who became a dear friend, a Chabad rabbi who works with this rehab center. He has a lot of the students come to his home for Shabbat dinner, interestingly. Uh, anyway, uh, he he told them, then put him in the older older group. You, you're going to kill him over damn cigarettes. Totally. Totally. That's crazy. Yes, correct. Crazy. Okay, so, so did he, he get, went, get an so, older group? Yes. And by the way, why is it older versus younger? Like, I know. how does that make any sense? If you're going to uh, ban that, it, that, ban that, it. But that, why that, are you? That's right. So weird. It, it, it's, it's totally. People are, people, the, the ability to become a fanatic is like unlimited in the human condition. Well, and, and, and tobacco is one of them. Sort of what you're saying about podcasts. Like, like, it's a better use of their time than a lot of other things. Having a damn cigarette is maybe not perfect, but it's, right. if it's keeping oh, them from yes. the needle, yes. who the hell cares? Right. Or from alcohol. So they allowed him in the older group, and, and the rest is, is wonderful. I'll, I'll just tell one story, because parents have to have courage. To be tough. Tough love, is, is, as it's called, is really essential. And here's an example of where I, I just exercised it. So I would fly cross-country to visit him. I love the guy. I mean, I always yeah, loved him. Yeah, he's your him. son. Yes, right, exactly. Pretty much that, 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 does, that does it, yeah. So I, I show up and he's, he's seeing a therapist, which is perfectly appropriate. And we sit at the therapist, and the whole time he basically uh, yells at me about my flaws as a father, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I just looked at him in front of the therapist and said, uh, this was the second visit. He's done two visits now. So Aaron, I just need you to know, I'm not coming back. I am not flying across the country for you to crap on me. Bye. And you and, got up and left? Yep. Yeah. And you flew home? And I flew home. Wow. What and did he do? Stop crapping on me. That's that's what he did. 
That is a massively important story. That it's it's painful to tell, but I have to tell it. But that that's yes, yes. So it's important. So right, Sean is it. noting that he noted to you, and as he notes notes often, I never gave up on him. Uh, that wasn't giving up on him. Giving up on him was to show up and let him be bad. That's that's the irony. Mm. That wasn't giving up on him saying I'm not visiting. It means I'm, does I didn't say I'm not talking to you. Right. I'm, I, right. I, I, you're not, I didn't fly well, across the country uh, to be yelled at. Yes, that's right. Exactly. Yes. And by the way, yelled at inappropriately. Right. I didn't. I, I I'm not the villain here, which is his his point now. Yes, he 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 admits. By that the now, way, yes. you know I did not know what he would answer me. I. I did not know when I asked him on my uh, fireside chat, said, I, when I said, could I have done anything differently mm. as a father in terms of your addiction? And he said, no. I did not know. I, I truly entertained the possibility to say, look, you know, Dad, I love you very much, as you know, but you could have done X, Y, and Zs. No, nothing. Again, it's amazing Parents that you asked to, that question. Yeah, oh, I well because you really open yourself uh, up to people. Uh, yes, calling I, you terrible father. The, and, yes, you know. that's right. I did, but you see, I've never viewed me as the issue. I've always viewed my my values as the issue. I am a vehicle for hopefully good values, and I've never viewed myself as anything other than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's what the arrogance of all these people who they are the center of their I'm not the center of my world what I believe in is the center of my world mm. I know I know that to be true well uh, thank you I know you know that to be true but that that I would open myself up. Oh, it was it was, it was it, it, very like that is is proof. Yes, no that that was a big risk. That was a very big risk. Wow, you know one of the things that you've talked about, perhaps on this show, but certainly elsewhere with Aaron's addiction, is that you never let it ruin your life. Yeah, and that is amazing to me. And I know that it doesn't come from a place of callousness. I know that you are in, in you know. Oh, I would go to bed every night leaving my phone on. Right. Maybe he'll call me at 2 a.m. But how did you not let it ruin your life? Well, when I tell parents, you, you cannot adopt this notion of you can't be happier than your least happy child. You are holding, you are allowing your child to hold your life hostage your happiness hostage. And I refuse to do that. So how, and I think it's easier for men than yes, women. Yes, I admit totally. that. We can compartmentalize better than you can. Right. No, it's true. That's he, why I said if men got women's brains, I think they'd shoot themselves. Uh, well, um, trust me, you would. <laughs> I envy your brain for so many reasons. That's correct. But, you know, I think we live in a world now, and especially in you know affluent parts of the country, where parents l- literally like they they view their kids as themselves, as extensions of themselves. Yes, 
or, or right. quite yes. literally themselves. Yes. Like if they fail, then it's shame on that's me. Right. If and they it, succeed, it's glory to me. That's correct. And they and I oh God, I can't even tell you how many times I've seen this. Parents are so afraid of letting their kids fail, and it's not so much and obviously for their sake. It's yeah, it's for the parents. That's right. It's about the parents. It's not, oh, I love you so much that I don't want you to fail. I don't want you to experience any pain. It's I don't want to seem to my, you know, surrounding community like I'm a I'm a bad my it, like I so fail. He, here's a uh, they view kids to, as commodities. Oh, here I'll open up again. So my uh, my parents had two sons. Every every prager was two sons. I have two sons. My parents had two sons. My son has two sons. My wife has two sons. It'll be very interesting to see if Aaron has two sons. That, <laughs> that right. would kick it over yeah. the edge. Right. Yeah. So my my parents were preoccupied with each other. Mm-hmm. They showed very, paid little, very, paid little, very little attention to me. They paid more attention to my older brother because he was the firstborn, so it was, you know, just inevitable, and also because he was a tremendous pride provider. He he was he was the best at everything. Uh, you know, valedictorian, captain of the basketball team, editor of the school newspaper, got into Columbia. And, uh, he 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 was he was just he was a nachas machine. He was a yes, which is what he called himself. I know. Went, yes. Okay, nachas is is a Jewish term for pride and joy. Anyway, um, it, to give you a great example of how much of life is ironic, because it could be a blessing and a curse. So, for most kids, you would think it's a curse. They 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 didn't shower me with love. They didn't hug me much they didn't say i love you uh it just that's the way i was raised they were not in any way abusive but they they were not in any way coddling or even warm right okay they were preoccupied with each other they were crazy about each other for the 72 years they were together it's a long time so when i got older when i became an adult i was so grateful that they were preoccupied with each other. So many kids are the center of their parents' attention, and it drives the kid crazy. So I will happily take my excess over the other excess. And it worked out great. I was, I was so grateful. They have each other. They have their life. Yeah, they were proud of me, and my mother had this giant picture of me up up in her house. <laughs> That's okay. true, but they didn't live through the kids. Kids need space in order yes, to Yes, and you, you don't want to be the reason of, for being of your parent. What right. a terrible burden to have on you. Mm-hmm. You don't have your own life. I have my life. I don't live through you. You shouldn't live through me. And it's not callous. It's loving. It's actually a wonderful thing. That's why, by the way, I, I, you've really got me started here. But that—that that is why I am a big, bigger fan of the word like than even love. It's every 
parent, as is my always, always go-to example, every parent, maybe normal parent, loves their child. But a lot of parents who love their child don't like their child. A lot of kids love their parent, but they don't like their parent. I liked my parents. The, the love was, was, you know, sometimes felt, not, not always felt. It didn't matter to me. They were good people. They raised a good kid. That's pretty damn successful. They gave me great values. What the hell, what else do I, you know where I look for love? I would look for love from my wife. I would look for love from my friends. That's where you look to love for, from. Mm. Does, does that sound, does that sound good? <laughs> it's, I mean, I'm, I totally agree with you. And and I think this is the, this is part of the issue with modern parenting, where we we see these these helicopter parents, but I, I don't even think the I don't even think that term is exactly right. It's not so much helicopter. It's like it's like you you, you are the you, you determine my happiness. You determine my worth. You determine my success. And it's almost yes. like a it's almost like a status. People, I think a lot of parents view their kids as status symbols now. It's right. Not, it's not just the vacations you take, the car you drive, the amount of money you have, the job you or your husband have. It's 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 how well your kids do. That's right. Well, if you could say, at least until recently, my kid goes to Harvard, or or you know any other prestigious right, right. place. It, it, it that that was. Then you are announcing to the world, I am, I am a success. Dennis Prager here with a man I have come to admire for his work. So when I asked him, what do you do? This is the title he gave, Wealth Architect. Very simply put, I am a wealth architect that helps my clients accelerate the way they grow your wealth. It's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. The Internal Revenue Code is embedded with a number of things that you can take advantage of. It's what I call playing tax chess. We take the time to play tax chess in your favor. We give our clients unbiased, independent advice across all areas in their financial life because we have no incentive to sell anything. I was taken enough and impressed enough to have you do my work. And you have, in fact, saved me a serious amount of money. CharlesDombeck.com slash Prager. Well, you know what's interesting? Because I, when I was at Harvard, I realized that so many of us were there because we were desperately trying to make other people happy and proud. Usually parents. Usually parents. Yeah, that's what my yes. brother said. And I and I, I felt that so much growing up where I, <laughs> I love my parents. I, I saw how much they went through with Gina and my sister with autism. And, she, you know, and I was just like, oh, my God, I, I just want to bring right. it home to them. You know, I just want to be the the light in their lives. And so many of my classmates were they had someone yes, who they were so who they were doing this for, you know, because it's look, I'll admit it's a pretty unnatural thing to do with your high school life what you need to do to get into these colleges. That's right. That, uh, the impetus for it is is a lot of you're doing this for someone. You have to have it. You have to want it too. You know, otherwise, like you can't be forced to do it. But a lot of it is that you're trying to make someone else happy. But then what's interesting is like, are all of us kind of that way? Like, do you show up to the, your radio show every day and are you are you doing this 
you're, I, I know you're doing this for, for other people. You're doing it for the greater cause of truth and goodness. But it's interesting to kind of look around and go, are, are all of us motivated by making other people happy or doing what we're doing because so, he, or, or to, or to uh, prove yeah. something, not to make other people right. happy, but to stick it to someone. Are we motivated by ourselves? Are we motivated right. by That's, what we no, can so there's, there's, there's for other questions. people? I, I can speak for me, and I have a quirky life in this way. I admit it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I started in high school not living to make my parents proud. In other words, not to make them ashamed. Right. No, no. I, in other words, I, I was, live to make my yeah, parents right. ashamed. No, no. It, it, of course it's not, very no. important. But I didn't do X, Y, or Z to bring them glory or joy or whatever. Right. Uh, and it was so liberating. And they and they and basically they let they let me do that. They 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 weren't bugging me. They did. They stopped when I was 14, and I became happy at 14. As soon as they stopped I know you were going to go move to I- well, Idlewild or yes, whatever the hell right. it was called. Yes. You're right. It was Kennedy is that Airport. what is Idlewild? Idlewild. That was so the- weird. <laughs> Stuff like that is so interesting to me. Like, what? Idlewild? Yeah, I don't know how it got you that know? name. Kennedy's a better name. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, go, go on. No, I, it was a very uh, liberating thing that I... And I give them credit because once they decided that they weren't going to hound me, by the way, in talking about the hounding and so on, my theory on helicopter parenting is what you said, Mm -hmm. but I have another theory. Parents' preoccupation is they want to be loved by their child. If I show up at every one of your games, you will love me more. And I, I want you to know how much I love you, but, and, but it's not a purely selfless love. Mm-hmm. It's a love to be loved. I, my mm-hmm. par- I was on my high school basketball team. I have no talent, but I was the tallest kid in the school, so I was on the team. And I didn't want my parents to come to the games I felt that I was a man if they didn't come. I felt I was a boy if mommy is in the audience. I'm a boy. I know I'm you a... said that. That's oh, very I interesting. Felt, yes, I really felt that. So did Alan Estrin. And we're two masculine guys. Wow. We, were, we did not want to be our parents' kids. Well, you know, so I, I've told you and the audience that I – played sports my whole life swimming soccer water polo was every weekend traveling to god knows where california to play three games on saturday sleep in some holiday inn play three games on sunday drive i mean it was just like craziness and so across those three sports i saw so many parents and i was always when i was so young thank god my parents are never like this i would see parents of people of kids on my team and kids on the opposing team pulling up their their chair to the edge of the pool watching everything screaming to the point where you could see their veins coming out drive to the goal I mean just screaming at other kids and then screaming at screaming at, uh, at, the, and, screaming and screaming at each at, other and screaming at refs and I literally in, in baseball games I literally wanted to like 
go get like a Michael Lewis book and just like hand out book like find something else in life that brings you meeting this is weird this is creepy this is sick and trust me your kids are gonna hate you one day because this is this is nutso land I really would like to know I gotta do this on my radio this is why the radio show is invaluable in my life Mm because I I get feedback Mm -hmm. I would like to know from anyone over 30. Yeah. How, looking back, was it, if your parents didn't go to all your games, mm. if they went to a quarter of your games, right? would you be any different? Well, my parents went to, to a lot of my games, but I actually, at the end, asked them to not the last few times. Um, and did they? Did they? And they yeah, they, they. They. Well, credit to them. Kudos. Oh, totally. But, but, They've uh, always listened it, to it, me. It, it, nobody asked this question. It's like, what are you kidding? Every kid wants that, but I don't know if that's true, and I don't know if they should want that. Yes, I, I asked my parents to stop going because it was so much pressure. And thank God they were never the type of parents who would scream at me before, during, after the games. It was all the other. <laughs> all the other parents took care of that, but I. It was, I. It was so much pressure and it wasn't, it was so not fun anymore. And I, and I was so, I, whenever I would score a goal, I'd turn and look at them. Everyone would always say that because I so wanted to make them happy. Was it a water polo? Yeah. Water yeah polo. I saw by the action yeah, of your arm. Yeah, I know. I, I knew know. what it was. Yeah. But I, you know what it was? Those parents were so effing awful that they would, I didn't want my parents to see other parents screaming at me. Really, and it was humi- I mean, it was absolutely humiliating. You would. He, I remember being. Why in the were pool. other parents screaming at you? Oh, I'd make a mistake. I'd, I'd throw. A oh, pass you mean the parents of your teammates? Totally, or yeah, totally. <laughs> and I remember once, <laughs> what a like joke. I remember it was like the third game in Apple Valley, California. It was at seven o'clock at night. Our first game was was like seven o'clock in the morning. It was blazing hot. It was you. I had a sunburn. I had to go study for my AP. I mean, it was effing miserable miserable and i remember being in the pool you're so tired people are clawing on you and i remember i threw a pass and someone intercepted it the coach threw the clipboard down the other parents yelled hartman what did you just do (laughs) (laughs) and i'll be honest it was the first time i honestly contemplated physically harming someone I who, remember who were you thinking the, of harming? I just this wanted parent? to go and just start punching people. <laughs> I was just like, you, God. I am 15 years old. Go. I'm sorry. Why, why don't we do oh about that, my, Sean? I don't care. I mean, you, like, do you understand no, yeah. how miserable? And you know what? And here's what I wanted to say to them. You don't think I don't know that I made a mistake? Trust me. <laughs> what a great point. I know. I made a mistake. I I'm made laughing. a mistake. I, I want to keep cursing, but I'm not going to do that because they know it's work on Sean. I feel like an idiot for throwing the pass. Right. It's enough yeah, no, no. to it, know it, that you messed up. I don't need right. you throwing the clipboard and yelling my, at me. My view is, oh, hello, it's a high school water polo game. Totally. Why are you getting so exercised about Oh, my this? gosh. I really, I got to tell you, I hope I run into some of these people. Now, there are parents who scream and curse at umpires in, in their kids' Little League games. Oh, I know. 
No, it's. No, I, mean, I think, so, I think the these parents need to be put in handcuffs and carted off to jail. Yeah, that's right. I'm not. I'm yes. really not kidding. Oh, I should do a whole show on this. You should. This is, and you know what? This has gotten so much worse over we the past. We should do 20 a years. show on my radio show on this. Yes. This is very important for parents to hear. I don't have a lot of contempt for people. If I ever saw any of those parents. I... Oh, scream. Yeah. Hartman. What did they say? I'm going to start repeating it. Ha- oh, they call me Hartman. And what the bleep did you just is do? Is that right? I mean, like screaming and hitting their, you know, knees. And, like... and you're 15. And then they're walking down the pool. Yes. But you know what? Here, here's the here's the little like ending. The the, the bow. The way the, the way to make this all better. Oh, oh, it's not the corker. It no. was absolutely miserable. I will never have my kids do that, ever. Hmm. It, but I'm so glad. I'm so glad I did it. I'm so glad I went through that because now when I make a mistake or I, you know, humiliate my like. At least I don't have a, a oh, crowd I of see. parents well, that, screaming that at me. That is interesting. You know, like so this, you were sort of given an inoculation, yes, like a this, vaccination that works. Yeah, and you have to learn. You have to learn how to tune people out. There are a lot of lessons. That's you right. got to go yeah. right, ha- handle That's humiliation right. with dignity. Yep. Tune them out. Mm-hmm. You know, realize that they are you know trashy people with no life and no you know prospects for ever being anything but dumb sycophants you know like you you just right, have to so learn you this know stuff. we got to go but yeah uh, next oh next... you don't want to hear me go on and on about this anymore i do actually <laughs> so, and you will because i am going to tell a story next time of my did i ever tell my basketball story at madison square garden yeah you're gonna tell you have to tell you it want... now you're not gonna remember oh i'll remember all right he wants me to tell it now so so to so shame. okay so i I was at a Jewish high school in Brooklyn, New York. In New York, there are so many Jews that you could be in a whole all-Jewish school. They had an all-Jewish league. So there was a deal between the New York Knicks, that's the NBA team in Mm -hmm. New York, and the Metropolitan Jewish High School League, that's Mm -hmm. what it was, that the the previous year's champion, no, the previous year's top two teams Mm -hmm. would play in Madison Square Garden before a Knicks game. So the the previous year's team of my Jewish school, the Yeshiva Flatbush, came in first or second mm-hmm. and got to play. Unfortunately, however, the uh, the team that did so well, they all graduated. <laughs> so this year's team was lousy, mm-hmm. which is part of the reason I made the team. That I think I have told the story when yeah. the coach said they scraped the bottom yes. of the barrel, Prager's on the team. Yes. We not only knew he was right. I made the team because I was the tallest kid in the school. I was 6'4 mm-hmm. in high school. So it comes to Madison Square Garden, and we're playing before a Knicks game. And I'm just praying I w- that I don't get in the game. I, I, I did not want to play in the game. I, I'm not good at it. I didn't want to embarrass myself mm-hmm. in, in Madison Square Garden, even though there weren't a ton of people there prior to a Knicks game. But there's, there's, you know, there are people there. With 56 or 58 seconds left, it is not possible mathematically for my team to win. Right. I get a tap on the shoulder. Prager, you're, you're going in. When he knew there was no chance we could win. Yeah. I had not been following the game at all. (laughs) 
I had been joking the entire time and cracking up my mm-hmm. my uh, teammates. That was my job. I I look at the guy next to me, and I go, Nakbar. That was his name, Nakbar. <laughs> we called him Snackbar. I go, Nakbar. Which basket are we shooting at? <laughs> And the guy starts cracking up and didn't tell me. <laughs> Decades later, I found out why he cracked up. Why? He thought I was continuing to joke. Oh. <laughs> which makes perfect sense. So I am now going in and there's a jump ball and I don't know where we're shooting. Uh, this, is, this is a farce, but it happened. So there's a jump ball and I ran to the wrong side. Yeah. The referee standing on that side looks at me and he goes, hey, kid, you some sort of schmuck? And I thought, like I did with the coach, actually, I am some sort of schmuck. <laughs> Ending up on, on this side of the court alone with you that is it's so not prestigious. <laughs> so here's the, the reason that I'm reminded of it. My parents did come to that game. That was the only game they came to in my basketball career. It ba- makes sense. <laughs> Madison Square Garden. My mother, however, was as aware of basketball as I was. And when she saw me, she she cheered me for 58 seconds <laughs> like I was doing something competent. <laughs> I heard her voice. Dennis! Dennis! Oh. <laughs> I remember my mom used to yell and, you know, people would wrestle in the in water polo. And one time she yelled, get off my baby. That was the only time she ever yelled. And I went, Mom, uh, get you are off never my baby. Oh, yeah, that's that a killer. Again. Yeah. Well, she would, God bless her. She would tell. She well, would, I was six four. I <laughs> The chance of my being called baby were, were minimal. <laughs> My mom would actually get into it with the other parents. Is that right? And say, "Stop! You guys guys are crazy people." Yeah, great stuff. We need to. I need to do a whole show on this. Yeah, it's really important. Psychotic sports parents. Well, but where does it emanate from? That's the key. mm -hmm. Yeah, and wanting to be loved by your kid at all time is the recipe for being a bad parent. Well, these parents don't want to be loved by their kids. No. No. Oh, do you think screaming at their kids and? no. Oh, and they want to live through them. Yeah. Yes. All right. Okay. They they're, yeah. So they're both bad. Okay. How can they reach us, Dennis? By listening to what you will now tell them. Good segue. You can reach me at julie at julie-hartman.com. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Julie R. Hartman. Follow Dennis on Twitter at Dennis Prager. And on Instagram at the Dennis Prager. Really? That's how I reach oh my me on gosh. Instagram? Oh, my God. This has happened. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Literally. 10 A wonderful times. week. We need to get a compilation blooper, and I, but not I, blooper, I, right. of this. Is she still talking? Ooh, burn. Shalom, everyone.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.